Lord in prayer uh, for revival and for the Lord to stir our hearts. I've been I've been so excited to see just in the short time we've been praying this way as a church. Not only how much it's been a blessing to the ladies praying together and the men praying, uh, but the the working that God seems to be doing in a lot of our hearts. And um, I, I don't know that we can say that it's revival yet, but I, I think we can certainly say God's moving some things. God's doing some things. And I'm thankful for that. And I, in all the reading and studying and praying the last several, about the last month and a half or so on the subject, uh, I, I was praying this week and, and kind of thinking on some things in my own heart. And I thought, you know, that there were three things that kind of came to mind um, that I, I think if we take all of what I've read, and, or at least I could take all of what I've read about revival, I could kind of categorize it all into these three main things. And um, I remember reading in Haggai chapter 2, if you want to turn there with me, um, I, I find a phrase that is used by God uh, to the nation of Israel. And, and it really is, uh, I'm just going to look at the phrase itself. I'm not going to look at the content of what God tells Israel at this point, because uh, I, I don't know that that's pertinent to what I'm trying to get to. But I want us to look at the phrase that God uses here. And I think it's very, very obvious as we've listened to some of the things Brother Paulie has taught us uh, in the last few weeks and certainly some things we've been preaching on, um, that this kind of sums it up in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, in chapter number 1, um, of course, this is on the heels of uh, Nehemiah and Ezra uh, rebuilding the walls and, and setting the foundation of the temple. And uh, Ezra has seen great revival come in the nation of Israel. And then everything just kind of kind of uh, went into limbo, went on pause for about 11 years. Now, there was still spiritual awakening, but the house of God wasn't being built. The, the temple just, the foundation had been laid, and that's as far as they got. Then they stopped work on it. And then they all ran and went and started working on their own houses and rebuilding their own houses and their own crops. And so God uses Haggai to come to the nation of Israel. And uh, we'll begin in verse 1. It says, In the second year of Darius the king... Uh, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time has not come, the time when the Lord's house shall be built, should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And I've preached on this book before in chapter 1 and chapter number 2. But I want us to think about this. Jesus, or God, when He comes to the nation of Israel, He said, you guys are thinking one way when really you need to be thinking another way. And He said, what you need to do is consider your ways. That's what God's instruction was was to them. He goes on down as we get to verse number 6, and, and this, this certainly seems to be the way our Christian lives are sometimes, isn't it? You have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. In other words, all of it's vanity. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of activity going on, but very little power of God being exhibited. And things are kind of wasteful. A lot of effort being put forth and not a lot of results. And get to verse number 7, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, and he says it again, consider your ways. Two different times here. He tells the nation of Israel, he said, you should be thinking one way and you're really thinking another way. 
He says, consider your ways. I think when it comes to revival, really, we've, we've taught this, I think, in, in maybe not so many words, but I think this is what, what it really boils down to, is that when we know that we should be somewhere else than we are spiritually, we need to stop and consider our ways. And that's something that I think we as Christians neglect so often. Um, we get in the routine of the Christian life, and we don't stop and consider our ways. And then I got to thinking on that, okay, well, how do I consider my ways? What am I supposed to do, just go sit in my chair and, and uh, get out a piece of paper and a pen and sit there and wait for God to tell me something and then write it down? Well, the truth of the matter is, I consider my ways. I think James talks about it, and we read it Sunday in chapter number 1, that we're to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And the way I consider my ways, if I want to know what I'm lacking in, the only way I'm going to find it is if I come to Scripture. And I have to look into the perfect law of liberty, and it will show me what manner of man I am. It'll show me that area that I'm lacking. It'll show me the areas I need to work on. And so I think a love for God's Word and a hunger and a thirst for it is at the onset oftentimes of considering our ways and saying, Lord, is there something that needs to be done in my life? And then when that takes place, the second thing I think needs to happen, we find in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And that is we need to find that the, the things that God shows to us, we need to confess those things. We need to get them right. We need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I want this fixed in my life. I don't want to just know that it's there. And somebody said, well, you can't fix a problem until you know it's there. And, and they have all these self-help groups. You ever, you, you, we, we sometimes hear about them, and they get in a group, and somebody will stand up and say, Hi, my name's Greg, and I've got this problem. And they say, Boy, that's, you've made great progress. Knowing that we have a problem is not the progress. Finding some way to do something about it and to have God's help in it is what really needs to take place. Because, I mean, most of us here read our Bibles. Most of us can find things that, that God shows us that we need to work on. The problem is we don't, we don't always work on them. And so there's a sense of humility. And I, and I think the second step, uh, other than considering my ways, is getting to a place where there's a humbleness of spirit, um, a brokenness, and, and the idea of uh, confessing those things to the Lord and getting those things right. And then I think the third step is once my, my, my heart is clean and the, the account has been settled, you know, everything's uh, clean and everything, nothing between the songwriter I wrote years ago, nothing between my soul and the Savior. Uh, and when that takes place, then I think the third step is we need to give all of our will, all of our will. We find that in uh, Romans chapter number 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, we need to give all of our will as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I think we can boil it down to those three areas that need to take place in each of our lives. I need to consider my ways. When I find that from Scripture, the, the need, then I need to confess those things to the Lord and, and get those things right, change them. I can't just know about them. I've got to do something about it. And then thirdly, I've got to take my will, my, my desire, my flesh, and I've got to lay it on the altar. And say, Lord, I don't want you to have part of my life. I want you to have all of it. We've preached on all of these things uh, over the course of the last several weeks. But I think it's, it's good for us tonight to kind of put all that in a nutshell and make it all very coherent and easily seen. Uh, and so I want to encourage us in these things uh, because I think that's a very important thing. Now, we've got a few minutes. The, the video that we have is, I think it's only about five minutes long. 
If it's one we've already shown, it'll do us good to hear it again. All right? I, I, I look back. I don't think we've shown this one yet. And uh, I think this will be the last video we'll show. And then uh, here in the next week or so, we'll probably uh, change and go to a different format of things on Wednesday nights. But I want us to continue to pray for this. Yes, sir. Sure, go right ahead. Jesus. Amen. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. <coughs> Amen. Yep. Right. Amen. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Somehow over the years, we have made church about us. We've made the Christian life about us. And it really is all about Him. And if we can ever get to that place, I, I like the, the statement that he mentioned. He quoted the, the pastor, I think it was last week, um, where he was the older gentleman who had actually seen revival. And somebody asked him and said, you know, do you think we'll have revival again? Or when do you think we'll have revival again? And, and his answer was, when Jesus is enough, then you'll have your revival. And I thought, boy, you, you can't really say it any better than that. And that's, I think that's what Brother Kenny's referring to there is just Jesus being sufficient. And, and uh, he's all we need. So, uh, Jonathan, we'll take a few minutes. It's only a few minutes long, and then we'll go uh, to our prayer time together. Uh, but why don't we go ahead and play this video. And, uh, again, if it's a repeat, it'll be good to hear it again. All right? In speaking of the Welsh revival, that's a, that's a famous revival. Yes. Uh, and, and looking back at you know, the Great Awakening and, and all these different great moves of God, what do you think the revivals of yesteryear all had in common? That's a great question. Well, let me say this first. They were all different. I think that's one thing we have to acknowledge. They were different. You, you mentioned the Welsh Revival. The Welsh people were a singing people. Uh, one thing I've noticed, when real revival comes, people sing. I mean, they, and they sing different. They may sing the same songs, but they sing different. It's just like, I don't know, the Lord breaks up something on the inside. One of the greatest meetings I was ever in, a local church meeting, at the end of the meeting that night, um, the pastor never got out of his seat. I finished. I sat down. He never got up. All of a sudden, he's sitting in his church pew. He breaks out in a song. Acapella. Some great hymn about the Lord. The people joined him. When he finished that song, he went to another one. Went to another one. I don't know how long we just sat there. No one up in front. We all just sat there singing to the Lord. It was some of the best singing I've ever heard in my life. 
People sing better after they've been revived. Sin closes you up. God opens you up. So, the Welsh Revival is evidence of that. All right? But those people were a singing people already, the people of Wales. So, that particular revival was marked by great singing. Um, the great revival hymn of the Welsh Revival about the love of God has become a famous song because of that. Uh, other revivals, like the 1904 Prayer Revival, uh, was marked by prayer meetings in many different places. Uh, some awakenings have been marked by God's touch on a particular messenger. Um, you know, you look at the ministry of people like Whitfield, and you have to say, God just touched him. can't explain it. You can't say, well, this is homiletically why this happened. No, spiritually, he was full of the Lord. God was upon him. And the people knew it. And it wasn't Whitfield they were seeking. It was God they were seeking. So, every revival is a little different. But if you're looking for the common denominator things, I would say one of them is brokenness. And I think maybe therein lies our problem. Because, especially our American Christianity... Is all about having it all together. I mean, really, we we're a we're a filtered society. We're a we're a social media worthy world, and that's that's happened in the church now. And we have it all together. But when you act like you have it all together, there's never real brokenness. And I believe humility and brokenness uh, that leads to real repentance is at the core and the heart of revival. You know, we're living in a world where everybody wants the product and nobody wants the process. So everybody, it's like drive-through Christianity. You know, I'll drive-through and pick that up. And I'll revival you won't. No. Repentance leads to real revival. And I think we're trying to get the revival. We're trying to figure out how we can produce the revival. You can't produce revival. It's God-produced. But what we can do is we can get our hearts ready. It's like I said to you when we started our discussion that revival is just the normal Christian life. Okay, for years I heard people talk about revival like it was some hard thing. It's hard to have revival. Really? Because God's the God of life, isn't he? I mean, isn't he the one who just said light and there was light and then spoke the world in existence? Breathed into Adam the breath of life, man became a living soul. I mean, he stood in the graveyard and said, Lazarus, come forth, and he did. I mean, that's life. Okay, so if revival is God's life-giving power, I would submit theologically revival is never hard. I'll tell you what's hard, getting us prepared for it. The, the, the difficulty is not on the Lord's side. It's always on our side. I think one of the great missing elements is preparation. Um, I can tell, when I go into meetings, I can tell a difference in the places where Spiritual preparation has been made. I'm not talking about posters on the wall and announcements. I mean spiritual preparation. I was in a church recently. They had fasted and prayed for 40 days. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You can tell it. Uh, I was in another church recently. I stood to preach on Sunday morning, and there was such a liberty of the Lord to give God's word, and then such a liberty of the people to respond to it. And I found out a group of men had been gathering praying. So you can't explain that. And no preacher brings that. I, I'm convinced it has more to do with the praying than it does the preaching. And that's a humbling thing for a preacher, too. Because you've got to acknowledge it wasn't my sermon that accomplished that. Like, I didn't do that. No, if any good thing happens, 
it's the Lord, obviously, but I believe it's the Lord responding to someone's brokenness, someone's humility, someone's repentance, someone's intercession, uh, someone seeking the Lord.